0: What's up, guys? Before we get going today, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry, along with years of wisdom and experience. You need to go check these guys out. If you're into the wagering game right now, whether that be golf, the U.S. Open package is going on – actually, it's already on the site. Excuse me. This is up live, Get in the U.S. Open pack action this week. They're crushing it in NASCAR. They're going to have a package that fits your price range. I would recommend with going through the year, all sports pass, just go ahead and commit to it. I promise you you're going to make your money back and then some if you're a real heavy hitter in particular. But if not, they've got a package that will fit your price range. They've got sports-centric month-long and week-long packages. You can do all sports for a month, all sports for a week. You could try a daily pass. Anything that you would prefer to wager in, they're going to have a package to fit your price range, and they're going to have picks that are going to make you money. So if you're in the degenerate game, you're wanting to make money and guarantee yourself to make money so the guy does, your guy doesn't text you on Sunday night asking where your, uh, where your scratch is. Uh, You need to get on with Skybox. Beat the bookie. Don't let the bookie beat you. Skybox is the best way to do that. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Click Packages, and then just go figure out which one's the best for you. I promise you they'll have one that will lead you to profit. More promos on the way. Go get some gear. They have a cool logo. Word on the golf course this weekend. Uh, Not to brag, hit it better because I was wearing the Skybox hat. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, Mississippi's best place to get meat. Y'all know about LB's. Oxford is so lucky to have it. Go see Greg Lane Train special, Keith Carter special, all kinds of exotic sausages and other smoked meats, all kinds of uh, different cuts. Greg loves to grill, loves to smoke meats, and it is his life's work. It is his life's passion. And I promise you, you're going to walk in there and be amazed. Everyone that I tell about LB's who doesn't already know about it, which are co- becoming fewer and farther between, walk out of there being like, How the hell did I not know about this place sooner? It is awesome. If you love grilling, you need to go check him out. He's got seafood, sausages, tri tips, anything you can imagine. Greg has it. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy rights newsletter, you're getting $5 off any frozen sausage, as well as a 16 ounce prime strip for 10 bucks. And any second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, a hundred. Who, ha- who the hell cares prime strip after that for 15 bucks. So sign up to the Rippy rights newsletter. That's Rippy Just go in, enter your an email and you get spanned with emails by me three to five times a week. And free meats. I'll let you decide which one's better. Really happy to have Greg on board the podcast. He's been a supporter today. to day one, become a great friend of mine. You need to go check him out. LB's University Avenue. We have Zach Berry on the podcast today, my new colleague at RebelGrove.com. Known Zach for a while, but now we're officially colleagues, as we discussed at the top of the podcast, uh, getting matching business cards. I just made that up. But talk some recruiting, uh, Old Mrs. 2021 class where it finished how big of an accomplishment that actually is given the kind of bizarre circumstances surrounding it. Then transitioning into the 2022 recruiting class, he gives us kind of a temperature on what the in-state talent looks like versus out-of-state, what Ole Miss's needs are. Zach knows recruiting really well. You need to go listen to the Soft Verbal podcast that he and Neil McCready do. They do great work covering recruiting. Um, If you're big into recruiting, you're going to enjoy this podcast. Uh, Just don't. Don't mind me. I'm just asking dummy questions, and Zach knows his stuff. We also talked about some golf. The Mike Bianco situation kind of bounced around, all kinds of different stuff. It was good catching up with Zach. So, without further ado, let's go.
1: Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
2: All right, we now welcome on good friend of the program, Zach Berry, recruiting analyst at Rebel Grove uh first time we've done a pod together i guess since we kind of well we work at the same place that's uh does that count as coworkers?
1: yeah we're uh yeah we're colleagues now
2: colleagues okay i like that that's a fancy term uh check him out at zach z-a-c-h underscore barry on twitter does great work at Rebelsgrove.com. recruiting wise i figured we'd hit some recruiting today probably talk some golf uh, you know, probably this Bianco news as well, just kind of see where it went. But uh just uh, been a while since we chatted, so just want to kinda hit a number of different topics. Uh what's been going on with you? I know you said you got another another kid on the way and then a youngin already uh already here.
1: Yeah, so we got the one uh about year and a half. He uh he keeps us busy. Uh had a good good little Tuesday today. Went to uh went to a swim lesson, you know, gotta gotta teach him how to, you know, not kill themselves in the water um which is this is it's important um and he's a big fan of the water so he's not afraid at all so it's it makes it pretty easy um yeah I did that and then uh, in the process of moving so we got boxes everywhere um you I don't know if the folks at home can see us you can see me there's nothing on the walls in the in the office so uh so yeah just trying to get everything boxed up and ready to go next week
2: absolutely so with the with the little guy is he are you on protein shakes or have you gone straight to the needles? What are you thinking for free college?
1: You know, um, I don't know the golf, the golf scholarship thing Sweet. is 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 tough. Um, but I feel like I'll let him choose what he wants. But I play a lot of golf already as it is, and uh, I have a lot of friends that play and that are really good, so I can get free lessons. Um, so I might just go with that and just stick with a you know individual um very cerebral sport like golf. And we'll uh, we'll see how far that goes. But after that, you know, we'll just kind of let him pick and choose what he wants to do. i probably to this point i probably rolled out football.
2: Okay.
1: Um but he's yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe basketball's in there. He's still in the uh ninety eighth percentile in height, which is wild. Um because I'm only five ten and my wife's not very tall. Um so I know that her family on 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 her side's got some height, so maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll you know maybe he'll go through an Anthony Davis phase in high school and just become six eleven, and we can go for that.
2: That would be pretty cool. I'm five six with like the world's tallest baseball spikes on, so my hypothetical kid probably not touching that air. But uh, we'll uh, we we can always hope for the best. So yeah, on the speaking of getting to some older prospects outside of the class of twenty forty, let's uh let's talk some Ole Miss recruiting. It's a uh, interesting time of the year, right? Guys are actually kind of seemingly finally getting back on the road and, like, returning to some sense of normalcy. Uh, as you know, I have a very, like, basic knowledge of recruiting. I was like every other, you know, newspaper hack back in the day. You start paying attention about a month out. You learn the kids' names, kind of who they're in the mix for. But, you know, for, for guys like you that keep up with it year-round, give me kind of just before we get further into it, just a general lay of the land of what's up right now and kind of where everyone's at.
1: Well, so as you know, uh, COVID, um, hit everything pretty hard, um, whether it was sports related or everyday related, um, hit recruiting pretty hard. Uh, the dead period was extended to a year and a half. Uh, so 2021, uh, the class of 2021, they really couldn't do much. And then now 2022, early on in that cycle, uh, they were unable to, uh, to have a regular recruiting cycle up until June. Uh, the dead period finally ended with, uh, Things kind of dissipating, vaccines being more readily available, um, that came into play and really kind of catapulted um, this 2022 class into June. Um, But I mean, it's ramped up for everybody because even the ones that were 2023, 2024, they couldn't get out. They couldn't go to camps, couldn't go to visits, um, couldn't talk in person to anyone. Now they can. So you see just the mad rush of programs getting out there and, and hosting these these camps, you know, Ole Miss refers to it as Friday night lights. They've been doing a big, uh, camp kind of workout for, uh, for players on Fridays. And then you've had a lot of guys come in town just for regular visits. Um, one of the things that's been interesting in some of the, uh, prospects that I've spoken with uh, Ole Miss and I'm sure other programs are doing it too, but they've done it where, uh, they kind of give these kids the option. You can go out there and compete with everybody else. Um, or if you want, you can, uh, do a private workout, um, Talked to a guy in, uh, in Peyton Cushman, an offensive lineman out of Florida. He did a private workout with new offensive line coach Jake Thornton, uh, analyst Phil Lloyd Holt. Um, did a private workout with them. Um, watched a lot of film. Another guy, uh, Davison Igbino's son from New Jersey, uh, defensive back prospect, uh, came into town, did the same thing. And, I, you know, that's kind of a cool um, idea because it's a little more specialized, it's a little more um, specific to where you're not only – you know, one-on-one to where you can really get in and and work technique and, and talk with the prospect. But, you know, a lot of it was, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this. Then we're going to go sit in the office. We're going to watch some film. Um, I'm sure they watch some of the, the prospects film, maybe tell them what they like, what they don't like, maybe what they need to work on. But then they probably also show them a lot of the defense from last year and you know, Hey, this is where we see you playing um, that kind of thing. So that that's resonated with some prospects where they've um, they've said that that's pretty unique to Ole Miss. Um, And, you know, just, the normal, you know, I guess the, the cliche of, you know, oh, it's just that home feel. But one thing that, that, that I've gotten from talking to a lot of prospects that have been going to camps uh, this month at Ole Miss, a lot, a lot of them just, you know, not just the, the, the corny, felt like home, like they all say that. Um, a lot of it was they said it was just fun. They said the, uh, the coaching staff was really energetic, a um, lot of excitement. Uh, and I think that that's something that you're going to hear a lot from prospects at Ole Miss are recruiting because the staff is really young. Um, they're really uh, hands-on. They, they really get into it. You know, I saw on Twitter today that um, defensive analyst Marquise Watson and then one of the other analysts were talking about uh, uh, doing a forty 40 yard dash race. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that is, is fun. I'm sure the prospects like to go and, and you know, they, they like that laid back type of atmosphere. So that's, that's kind of been what Ole Miss is, has been doing this month. You know, they're, they're doing the the normal camp setup, but then they're also throwing in a little bit of their, their personality. Just from
2: an industry perspective, and you probably answered some of this in, your, in kind of the last part you got to, there was some of the individual workout stuff. But, you know, anytime you have something happen like this that alters the world and changes everything, it makes it, you know, some things will probably be permanently different. Some things will go back to normal. Kind of zeroing that into a recruiting thing. You, this may be a bad question. You may not be able to answer, so feel free to just be like, I have no idea. But do you see anything that came out of this pandemic from a recruiting perspective that might become unintended consequence, something that might become the norm that wasn't the norm before? Maybe it's something someone's doing. Um, you know, I know they had to do a lot of virtual stuff and adapt for a while, so I'm just curious if you think there's something out there that might stick and become the norm that was kind of invented that they had to get to during the pandemic.
1: Uh, Well, something I just thought of um, that I think Ole Miss had somewhat of an advantage, um, you know, doing, like you mentioned, virtual, a lot of uh, digital, a lot of FaceTime, a lot of Zoom, Um, you know, Ole Miss kind of has a leg up on some programs and a lot of programs these days are, um, you know, getting into the media side of things. Um, But Ole Miss has a really good, you know, video department. And they put together some really nice videos and kind of giving that virtual tour. And I think that that helped um, with a lot of the prospects in, in, in 2021. And, you know, they weren't able to, you know, they could travel to Oxford, they could come to campus, but they couldn't go into the facilities. They couldn't meet any of the coaches. And almost, you know, they had a lot of staff turnover. They had a lot of new um, coaches come in. Um, you know, John David Baker, the tight ends coach, Coleman Hustler, the special teams, linebackers coach, uh, Randall Joyner, the defensive line coach. And now you've got Jake Thornton. Who's on is the offensive line coach, and um, he's now getting to get in person with these with these prospects. But a lot of it was, you know, it's hard to get personality to come. But having a a really good video department to be able to help and showcase the the campus, the town, the university, the facilities, all of that, I think was pretty advantageous. And I, I think that they'll probably adapt that into their normal routine when they're starting to reach out to a lot of these younger prospects. And it's like, hey, you know here's a video, you know, what you can expect if you come to Oxford. Um, I think they're gonna utilize that and, and use it. But, um, but yeah, it's hard, because another thing that I was gonna mention that prospects have told me when I've spoken with them after their visits, um, that you weren't able to see because of the pandemic. Um, hearing a lot of compliments on the layout, the facilities. Um, several prospects have talked about how everything flows really nice. The campus is close to everything. Um, They all seem to like how you can go from the weight room to the locker room to the practice field, go back to the locker room and then get to campus pretty easily. Um, It's, you know, as you know, it's easily accessible. Um, The square is not too far off. Um, So when they're coming with their parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, whoever, they can get a tour of everything and then they can hop in a golf cart and go to the square and and grab a bite to eat. so that's something that I think is, is beneficial. But as far as your question in, in terms of what might be adopted after, you know, post-pandemic, um, I would probably say the the digital side of things and, and the videos and being able to showcase what you have um, before they get on campus. Because You know, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, they want to see the bells and whistles. So you can send out this video, they can see everything, and then they can make a decision from there.
2: That makes a lot of sense because, right, like – I mean, it's the famous Sinclairs golson deal where it's like, what do you say, if you don't want to go to old Miss, don't take a visit type of thing. But I imagine yeah. when you kind of give them a virtual taste of that and then it's followed up by actually seeing the real thing, I imagine that only enhances the experience. I've never really thought about it that way. So that's a really good point. And so kind of looking back at 2021 before we kind of get into what 2022 might look like from an old Miss recruiting class perspective, it was – I remember like, kind of somewhat covering it following it whatever it's kind of a different perspective for me now but they were 17th nationally it seemed like across the board sixth in the sec I, i'm sure you all have covered this on soft verbal and all of those things and so forgive me for being repetitive but like how would you quantify that as an accomplishment given that it was their first full class and then you couldn't ever get any of these kids on campus because i you may have thought it but i didn't necessarily have them finishing that high maybe in the neighborhood maybe that was the best case scenario but that seemed to exceed expectations, if kind of accurate in saying that?
1: I would say so. And, you know, talking about the the staff being really young and, and showing a lot of energy, it's hard to really quantify that over the phone or FaceTime. So without having the ability to meet prospects and their families in person, I think it was um, a pretty impressive close. And they they checked a lot of boxes. Um, they got a quarterback in Luke Altmeyer. Um, flipped him from Florida state. That was a big get Um, elite 11 finalist. Saw him in person when he was up here at the elite 11 in Nashville um, back when he was committed to Florida state. Thought he looked really good um, on the run um, off platform, if you will, if we're going on the uh, quarterback terms, but um, he's got a lot of arm talent. Um, And look, I mean, I've seen, um, you know, he's been around town. He looks a lot bigger, I'd say he's well north of 200 pounds now. Um, but I mean, he's six two. Uh, I think that that's, you know, that's kind of where Matt Corral's at. And I think the, the days of needing six, four, six, five quarterbacks or they can't be successful is is long gone. Um, so that was big to get a quarterback. And then, um, they got a lot of, uh, impressive skill, skill guys in this class. Um, Hudson Wolf, the big tight end, they flipped from Tennessee. Um, had a, back injury in high school. I don't think there's any concern there. He's just been doing some rehab. They've been, um, really taking it easy. He was the highest rated recruit in this class. Uh, Braylon Brown is a guy that gets kind of lost in the shuffle, uh, committed really early, um, never wavered. He's a, uh, legitimate outside receiver, Six-two, one-eighty. 180. He played at a really good high school program at St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, I, I kind of expect him to, um, I and mean, I don't know if it'll be a really loud freshman season like A.J. Brown had, but I think he's going to get out there and get some touches, get some looks, because he's just a big physical receiver. But then, man, it, it, it's – last year in, in 2020, Ole Miss really struggled defensively. There's, there's no – there's no sugarcoating that. Um, they addressed it tenfold in this class. You, you've got the big name in Taiwan Malone, the big defensive tackle out of New Jersey. But then the defensive backfield completely loaded up. Kendrick Breedlove out of Nashville – Uh, Dink Jackson's a hybrid. He's out of Florida. He's going to play close to the line of scrimmage, but he'll be kind of a strong safety type. Taishim Johnson has made his presence known big time in the spring, played really well in the Grove Bowl. Um, He'll play some defensive back as well. But then you you go down the commitment list or the signee list, I should say. Markevious Brown at IMG Academy. MJ Daniels was a big flip on signing day. Um, DeMarco Williams, um, really physical corner out of Georgia. Uh, Trey Washington is a an underrated guy after you're looking at the stars, but they're really high on him defensive back out of a really good high school program in Alabama, Hewitt Trustful. Um, and then Elijah Sabatini, the big physical safety out of Biloxi. So they really hit the defensive backfield hard. And I think that you, you're you going to continue to see that trend, not only with Ole Miss, but with everybody, with spread offenses, people throwing the ball over the yard. You got to have some guys that can cover and can run and can tackle. Um, but, I mean, it was a really impressive class. Um, did a lot of work up front. I mentioned Malone. Um, but you've got Isaiah Iton, Jamon Gordon, the two Juco guys, two big physical interior linemen that they're going to need to play immediately. And then um, another guy they picked up late, Talik Robbins, another Northeast guy out of Philly, uh, 6'3", 280, really physical. Uh, I feel like once he um, – I believe he uh, either reported yesterday or today – um with uh with COVID his his final semester was extended a little bit so he he just reported this week but I kind of have a sneaky feeling that that he's going to have an opportunity to get out there and play early um didn't have a senior year so I think he's probably him personally is going to be really itching to get out there and prove himself
2: which one of these kids on each side of the ball do you think plays immediately uh ruling out the two juca kids so like high school wise do you think it's Brown? I mean th- there seems to be a need at wide receiver. I'd give you just a very uneducated guess on my part it would probably be Brown and then do you think Malone plays immediately? Who are your two?
1: Um I'll give you a couple couple headliners and then I'll go some underrated. Um again I I I like Brown a lot as a prospect. I think he's going to get some looks at receiver because they're going to, you know, they're going to have to replace a lot. Elijah Moore's not there anymore. And uh I I don't, I don't have to tell you or anybody else how big a part of that offense he was in 2020. Um, I think Brown's going to get some looks at wide receiver. I really do. And I think Tywan Malone is the guy that's just built for Power 5 football. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of looks early up front. Uh, If we're going underrated offensively, probably going to go J.J. Henry, uh, wide receiver out of McKinney, Texas. Kind of one of those guys where they're, they're wanting to replace Elijah Moore in the slot. He's as dynamic as they come. He's a really impressive route runner, really good speed, and has some really good hands. I think he's going to get some, uh, some time in the slot. I really do. Um, defensively, uh, as far as an underrated guy, I- I'm probably going to stick with Trey Washington. Um, really good size. He's about 5'11", foot, 190. Um, reported early, so he's been in the system. He's been in the playbook. Got a lot of reps in the, uh, in the spring. So that's probably my guy. I mean, if if, I'm, if you're looking for a headliner outside of Malone, I already talked about him. Taishim Johnson's going to play in 2021. Um, he might end up being a starter midway through the season, but um, the coaches rave about him. Um, I know Neil McCready's been out there at practice. He's talked with the coaches. He's talked about it plenty in the spring. They, uh, they love this kid. I think he's going uh, to be special before it's all said and done. Just kind of a dynamic do-it-all kind of a switchblade guy, um, you know, kind of the comparison that always gets thrown out is the honey badger, just kind of that guy that's close to the line of scrimmage, makes plays behind the line, but can cover and can really run. Um, I think kind of in their recruiting pitch with Chris Partridge and, and uh, when they were up there, I think with, with him and his time that he spent at Michigan, I think he he kind of threw out a lot of uh, Jabril Peppers and, uh, you know, I honestly wouldn't rule out if they give him a shot on offense at something because he's just that dynamic and just that talented.
2: And that's important. Don't you figure going in this year that they found a couple of kids, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, to play immediately, not only just from a need standpoint and needing to be better, but the whole selling point with the partridge Durkin thing was, well, we brought these guys in to recruit and we brought them to recruit nationally, right? Because last year, I mean – the defense was worse, or at least it looked worse, than it did in 2019, right? Like, they, those two guys were brought in to do a different job than Mike McIntyre was. Like, Mike McIntyre was like, hey, take nothing and turn it into something halfway respectable, and that's exactly what he did. Where it seemed like these guys, it was more like, okay, get your guys in there until you, until you get them in there. Just kind of do what you do and kind of get through the rough patches of it. It seems like now that you have a full class, in, it's probably important to find a couple guys that you know, you can point to as evidence of okay, this is working.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot of last year I think was just you continued because you saw it in twenty nineteen. Even though statistically the defense was better, um, they were just a couple guys short at a lot of position groups. Um, you know, it's it was a lot of fatigue late in games. There were the there were the the depth issue, and we talk about it a lot with quality depth. You don't just want bodies out there. You got to have quality depth. Um, You can't replace a guy with somebody that you don't feel comfortable being out there or, you know, filling their assignment or knowing what they're doing. Um, That was something that, that, that I heard a lot. There was a lot of rumblings about that was, yeah, we got, we got guys, but you know, we, we don't really know if they know what they're doing. And that's, you know, that's a lot of it because it's a new coaching staff and you're learning a new system. Um, But yeah, I mean, they, they just have to continue to build that quality depth. They're probably going to need at least two more signing classes before they can really feel comfortable. Um, and that's just that's just college football with the turnover, new staff, new system, and then with Ole Miss, you know, the the NCAA sanctions are really not that far in the rearview mirror. So they're they're finally back to a you know a full eighty five, and and they can recruit to that. and And I think that that's what they're doing.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right on that because I'll never forget one day I was sitting out there practice in 19 and I was talking to someone while they were kind of doing, you know, they're nice enough to show, uh, let us into practice to watch them stretch and then kick field goals. So it was somewhere between that part of it. <laughs> I was talking to some lower level recruiting guy, just like shooting the shit. I don't even know if we were talking about like anything in particular and talking about depth or whatever. I was like, yeah, I mean, I mean, didn't they run out like 52 dudes at one point last year, and Siski happened to be walking by, and he just goes 48 and kept walking. And you're just like, the more and more you think about it, you're like, oh, <laughs> how in the world do you go out and play? And that was the Auburn game of 18, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like, how in the world do you go out and play an SEC football game with 80, 48 scholarship kids? And so you're right. I mean, it's going to take multiple classes and, you know, even just having, like, they were able to get the able bodies, and now the bodies themselves aren't that good, and now you got to bring in more talent, and like you mentioned, two and three classes. And so, kind of a macro view before we get in a little more into it, how do you view this 2022 class for Ole Miss from, like, a coaching staff perception standpoint, if that makes any sense at all, right? Because they had a good class. I think they overachieved a little bit in this first full one, but generally, you know, cliched Feinbaum-ish terms, this is kind of like the statement class that maybe you can try to squeak top 10, something like that. How much stock do you put into stuff like that in terms of just like, I guess, benchmarks or mile markers or whatever in terms of Kiffin building this program?
1: I mean, I think if if not this class, it's definitely 2023 when you really got to take that next step. Um, but I mean, a, a top 20 class, a consensus top 20 class with a pandemic is pretty loud when you're you're coming off uh, a pretty lackluster tenure in Matt Luke. Um, and I think Lane Kiffin and his his cachet really helped them to land this class. But as far as that being that crucial, you know, honestly, I wouldn't say it's, it's boom or bust there where it's like, if you don't get a top 10 class in 2022, you really can't you really can't maintain your trajectory because I really do think that this team, especially in 2021 with the way the schedule looks, I mean, I, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I think that eight to nine wins is pretty attainable with what they have returning. So
2: they might've been here s- with the normal schedule, to be honest. It yeah. They got to five.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if they played a non-con, yeah. I mean, you, you certainly could have gotten to, to eight or nine, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're going to be tested early with Louisville. Um, I think they win that game. Um, honestly, you know, barring injury, I think that they'll be able to win by a couple of possessions. I don't think Louisville can keep up with them defensively. But, um, no, I mean, I don't think it's to where it's just an absolute must. I think and, – and this might be a little coach speak or, you know, a little bit of inside baseball here. But as long as you're meeting your needs – I think coaches, especially the staff that Lane Kiffin has put together with Jeff Levy at offensive coordinator, and I really do think D.J. Durkin is going to be able to, to continue to improve this defense. Personnel-wise, as long as you have guys that you can trust to do what you want to do, I think that that's all you really need. Um, you know, it, 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 for Ole Miss fans, it'd be nice if you had a signee list that looked like Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State. Um, that looks great on paper. Um, But look, I mean, I think they're really going to get a lot out of some of these guys that you know aren't the flashy four or five star. If they just can do what they want them to do, I think that's really all that matters. So I wouldn't pay too much attention to recruiting rankings. I know right now Ole Miss only has two recruits, and there's been some rumblings on the message board about you know, hey, when, when are we going to start getting some some commits? Because you know we're in the '60s, '70s, wherever they are. Um, You know, they were kind of in the same spot last year. They're not going to force it. They're going to be patient. They're going to find the guys that they think can fit and um, can do what they want to do. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if if that really answers your question, but as far as getting that flashy top 10 class, they certainly could. And then, you know, with the pandemic basically is, is gone. There's no more limitations on visits or, you know, in-person with the regular season and having non-conference games, and you're playing in Atlanta to kick off the season on that big opening weekend, which that slate is just absolutely loaded with good football. Um, you're going to be on in prime time. And I think it's just it's going to continue to help them recruit because you're going to be able to showcase what you're what you're putting on the field. And then you're also going to be able to bring prospects in on game weekends. Like, hey, you can come watch. You can come see Bought Hemingway Stadium with a you know capacity crowd if, if they can get it. But there's no restrictions. There's no 30% capacity. There's no 45% capacity. Um, there's gonna be people in the Grove I think that's a huge part of, of selling Ole Miss um, and you you know you go back to the Cinquez Golson quote I mean if if prospects visit and you know I was talking to one the other day and he said he was coming back for an official visit in the fall and he said he couldn't wait to see thousands of people in the Grove so that's something that you can really sell um, so yeah that was a long-winded kind of half answer I guess but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay too much attention to the top 10. I think they're they're probably a year away from really getting that big class. Um, there's, there's a prospect in 2023, I think, that is a, that is a big one that they're going to try to get um, that might help them get to that top 10 um, area. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would say fitting what they want to do and meeting needs is far more important than what's on paper.
2: That's arch, right? Does he have a driver's license yet?
1: He's probably got a permit. Okay. At least. So he's Maybe not I mean, put out
2: a top 10 list.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to ever do that. I highly <laughs> doubt it. Um, I don't know if he'll do a hat ceremony or anything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's the big one that I was referring to um, arch Manning. He's uh the uh, grandson of Archie Manning, for those that aren't uh, familiar, um, but yeah, he's a he's a big one.
2: Yeah, they had a. I forget Archie had another kid. What was his name? Cooper? Is that what that t- they're related? Yeah. To too okay.
1: They, yeah, yeah,
2: there you Glad go. go. Glad we got that family lineage. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I yeah. thought something you before we cut it, I asked a couple more questions on 20, 2022, I thought something you said was interesting was the the top seventeen class or whatever. Right, that's the cachet of Lane Kiffin. I mean, that that's. Honestly, obviously, you didn't need a pandemic to test it, or no one—that was not the test anyone wanted or asked for. But that's exactly why you brought in Lane Kiffin, right? Like that's why people were boozing at 11 o'clock in the morning on a Monday of finals week in his opening presser, right? Like Matt Luke yeah. of that pandemic is, you know, bordering on top 30-ish and trying to sell you on the in-state kids that they got, right? Like the the cachet of Kiffin kind of kind of got you that first class, which I think is an interesting way to look at it. What's uh, what's in-state, out-of-state look like in terms of talent discrepancy for 2022? Because I always think it's interesting looking at the at Mississippi from an in-state perspective just because, like, there's some years where you're like, holy shit, where did these guys come from? And then there's other years where it's like, this is pretty lean. And it seems to have been kind of volatile one direction or another for the better part of the last half decade now. What's it like this coming up class?
1: You know, it, it's, it's pretty loaded, to be honest. Um, with the new rankings that came out, the new rivals um 250 that came out, you've got uh the number one player in the state, Branson Robinson's running back. Um Ole Miss is not recruiting him. They're not gonna waste their time. Uh it was pretty evident early on that that he's looking to go out of state. I think uh Georgia's probably number one for him right now, Alabama's right there. But um, but yeah, he's 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 an absolute stud. Uh after that though. The number two player in the state, Kamari Rogers. Ole Miss is battling with Miami right now. Defensive back out of Lexington, Mississippi. Uh, I think Ole Miss is in a good spot for, uh, uh, with him right now. Um, the thing with him, uh, talk with National um, Recruiting Director Adam Gorney about it. Um, Terrell Buckley's been recruiting him since he was basically in the eighth grade. Uh, so that went back to when Buckley was at Mississippi State. Uh, now he's obviously the defensive backs coach at at Ole Miss, and, and that relationship is, is obviously continued to grow and it's maintained, and um, I think that that's going to probably be the edge in that one. Um, but you look at the rest of this top ten, I mean, Jaheim Otis, the number three player, committed to Alabama right now, that one's going to go down to signing day no matter what. Um, Trevion Williams, number four in the state, a defensive end out of Crystal Springs. Um, I think that one's going to be an, an Egg Bowl battle. Ole Miss, Mississippi State are both after him hard. Um, he was in Oxford this week, had a good visit. Um, Xavier Harris, number five player in the state, uh, big defensive tackle, 6'6", 338 out of Germantown. He's teammates with Branson Robinson. Um, I think that's probably going to be another Egg Bowl battle with Georgia and Alabama knocking on the door right there. Um, the number six player in the state, Ole Miss, has already have um, him on the commitment list, Marquez Dortch, the athlete out of George County. Um, just got an invite to go to the uh, the opening out in Oregon. Um, they're doing that again now that the um, dead period's done, pandemic and everything has subsided. They're doing the opening again. It's a huge, huge seven-on-seven, huge combine-style camp out there. It's a really big deal getting that invite. So that was pretty big for, for Dorch. Um, but working down the rest of the top ten, you got a guy like Jacarius Clayton, defensive end out of Tupelo. He's committed to Mississippi State, but he's – He's made it very clear that um, he is very interested in Ole Miss and he's going to take his visits. Um, probably a three-horse race there with Mississippi State, Oregon, and Ole Miss. Um, Joe Moorhead's still kind of bucking his head a little bit in the state of Mississippi. So um, that's the uh, connection there. And then uh, a couple other guys going down. Uh, Bryson Hurst is a big offensive lineman out of Gaucher. Um Larry Simmons, wide receiver, committed to Ole Miss out of Moss point. Um, another guy to keep an eye on here, uh, I guess a couple Blake Gunner tied in out of Madison Central, really high on all Miss. He's been to Oxford a couple times. And then, uh, Stone Blanton's an interesting one linebacker out of Madison Ridgeland Academy committed to Mississippi State for baseball. He's a two sport guy, but, um, he has been extremely adamant that, um, football is going to lead his recruitment. Uh, he kind of blew up, um, over the spring. Got a lot of big-time offers. Stanford's offered him. Michigan's offered him. Um, Auburn's offered him. Um, visited Ole Miss last week. Um, the two-sport thing is obviously an angle that they're going for, as Ole Miss has kind of become known as the two-sport place to go. Um, lastly, uh, a guy that made the trip um, this past week, J.D. Stewart, uh, a linebacker right at Greenwood. 6'2", 210, uh, really good-looking prospect. He came into town. A lot of people thought that he was kind of a shoe in uh, for Mississippi State, but he showed up in Oxford, um, took a visit, and I know that they're recruiting him hard. So it's honestly a pretty deep class this year in Mississippi. So um, you know it's not as deep as the the couple years ago with Nickobe Dean and and all of those guys, but um, it, it's still a a pretty impressive class this year in Mississippi. That um, you know, Ole Miss is is been adamant they're going to recruit nationally but there's some players inside the state of Mississippi that they're focusing on and they're really try- trying to get it into this 20.
2: Those are the real quick on Branson Robinson, the kid out of Germantown, the natural question, I guess, follow up to that is, is like, how in the world do you ever get like, right. The, the, the talking point or narrative or whatever you want to call it is how do you get kids from leaving the state? And it's never like perfect, right? There's always going to be some kids they just want to go out of state to go to college. I mean, that's just kind of a yeah. thing for 17-, 18 year eighteen-year-olds thing, I guess. How do you, How much do you buy into that uh, initially? And then, if that, if you do buy into that as an issue in Mississippi at all, how much do you think the whole Leach Kiffin thing changes that? For forget I said Leach, the Kiffin aspect of it and the cachet that he has that we talked about earlier.
1: You know, it was pretty interesting early on. Uh, you know, you can't really argue with with a kid that that gets offers from Alabama. In Georgia, pretty heavy hitters. I mean, Alabama obviously wins a title, it seems like every year. They put guys in the league. Um, you know, they have running backs that are in the NFL right now. So it's kind of tailor made for someone like Branson Robinson, where it's like, hey, look, you just come over here, we just plug and play, and you'll be in the league in a couple of years. I did find it interesting, though, because Ole Miss, they recruited him early on. It wasn't like they just threw the towel in early. Um, But, I mean, I don't think a lot of people remember Ole Miss led the SEC in rushing last year. So it's not, you know, I think there's this misconception that, oh, it's Lane Kiffin, you know, they throw it all over the yard nonstop. And, you know, Matt Corral's throwing for 500 yards a game uh, because they're passing it so much. I mean, no, Levy's offense is pretty balanced. Um, So I thought that was kind of interesting um, to have a guy like that inside the state of Mississippi, and he's not really going to even – give Ole Miss any kind of look but I think this is also you can see kind of the the maturity of the staff and and they're not going to waste time on guys if they're just not interested and look I mean Branson Robinson might just be that guy that's like hey man I've lived there my whole life I want to go out and see something else so um I, I I wouldn't I don't know for sure that Ole Miss has completely given up but um I feel pretty comfortable saying that he's focusing elsewhere
2: makes sense um Kind of last thing on the whole 2022 thing before we get into a couple of other topics. How does a staff – this is going to be a dumb question, but this is, again, a dumb recruiting brain on one end of the uh, Zoom here. Like When you're going into a different year, obviously you're trying to get the best talent available. But how quickly do guys identify – even like at this time of the year. So they haven't even played the 2021 season, right? Like how quickly – like at this point are they identifying – We're probably going to suck in these areas, so we need to shore that up. I know there's some sides of it that you definitely need. Like, from an Ole Miss perspective, they've been bad defensively, particularly front seven and, I guess, secondary too, for about a half decade now. So, like, defensive side, pretty much take anyone you can get in terms of, like, high-level talent. It's not even, like, holes when there's 11 of them. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, like, how quickly do they identify need in terms of a recruiting class? At what point does that start to become prevalent?
1: I mean, I think last year was, was certainly a a really unique cycle because they didn't have spring football because of COVID-19. So they didn't get out there and, and get a look to see what they had. Because, I mean, the staff was all brand new. Um, and I'm sure – you know, I'm I'm pretty sure Kiffin's brought it up in some of his press conferences where it, it, it sucked because they couldn't get a look. Um, so they really didn't know. And I think now with spring football, they've seen, okay – you know, we're good. We're good here. We can take best available, but uh, we're, we're pretty solid in this room. And then they've kind of seen, like, you know, oh, shit, like we don't have anybody here. We got to hit this position group hard. So that's beneficial to where you can get out there and see what you've got to work with. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a certain give and take there where it's you're going to hone in on the national prospects. You're going to give some guys a lot of attention. But a lot of times, you know, if, Hey, if, if there's a really good prospect that, that you think can come in and fit with what you want to do, and they're reciprocating the attention, I mean, at some point you just kind of go, all right, we're going best available. Like, you know, maybe, maybe we don't need this guy in this particular room, but he's too good to pass up. Or it's, uh, you know, hey, we, we don't really know what position he's going to play, but he's a hell of an athlete, and he grades out really well, so we're going to take him, and when he gets to campus, we'll figure it out. I, mean, I think there's a lot of that too because I mean the game is changing. I mean I, I saw um I, I I feel bad not knowing who it was but um you know there was a guy on ESPN that wrote a really good piece about how linebackers are, are almost being phased out of football like fullbacks were. And you know with you don't really have the traditional inside linebacker anymore. You don't really have those those run thumpers that, uh, that you had back in the day that, that played middle linebacker that were, you know, 6'3", 240. Um, you know, those are defensive ends now. I mean, the linebackers now are guys that probably played a little wide receiver in high school. You got to have guys that can really run and, and, and cover guys in space because of the spread offense and how everybody outside of some, some you know, <laughs> service academies are running the spread offense now. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is you're going to focus, like I said, on the big name four- and five-star guys you're going to take that flyer on. But a lot of it is do they fit what we want to do or is it best available? Hey, this guy's too good to pass up, so we're going to take him anyway.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Transitioning a little bit elsewhere, we've got some golf to get to. You're about to go on a trip. But before we do that, might as well hit the story that everyone's talking about, and that is – Mike, I was about to say something dumb, but I couldn't think of one, but obviously Mike Bianco check the message board right now. The, uh, the whole, you know, the season ends in Tucson on Sunday night. Uh, You know, it's interesting how this came about, right? Because when the LSU first announced Paul Maneri was quote unquote retiring and the initial kind of vibe was this whole Bianco ship has probably sailed a little bit and then it turned out to not be the case at all. And so, You know, you're kind of in this limbo game, right, because Mike doesn't really talk to anybody. It seems fairly evident uh, that the offer is his to turn down. Just uh, before we get into it a little bit further, just your general thoughts on this entire situation.
1: Well, first of all, it was kind of weird to watch and be kind of in awe of just how good Arizona's offense was. Word. Word. I, I was honestly—I tried to do a little, little show prep, little research earlier. Um, I can't really think of another college baseball offense that was as impressive top to bottom as them.
2: It's—it's it's tough. I, I remember that Vanderbilt's offense in '19 when Ole Miss got up nine to two in the Sunday SEC championship game, and you're like, "Well, this isn't over. It's not even close to whatever the hell it was." That's up there. But with that offense, for as much talent as they had for the, you know, 90 billion scholarships they give out, they didn't have guys one through nine that worked counts and quality at bats every single time. I mean, it was, it was evident from the time Doug Nikhazy towed the rubber and it took him 54 pitches to collect six outs that it was like, holy shit, Ole Miss is going to have to score 15 runs tomorrow if they make it out of tonight alive. That's what was most impressive to me. One through five is as dangerous as a one through five as I've seen in college baseball. I say last half decade. I'm not even that old, so ever since I've been following the sport. And then even just six through nine after that, every single one of them battled for eight, nine pitches in an at-bat and just exhausted opposing pitching staffs. I I was kind of like you. I knew they had good numbers. But the degree and the way they went about it was just kind of mind-blowing to me because, you know, chocker, I don't watch Pac-Ball Baseball.
1: Yeah, I, I caught a good bit of their regional um, before the Super. Really didn't notice it that much. I mean, granted, I wasn't watching it as intently as I was in the Super. But, um, but yeah, it was just it was just surgical. I mean, top to bottom, just the professional approach that they had of just you know, that's something that, you know, as a former baseball coach that I would work with, you know, 13, 14-year-olds. And, and once they get older, you can kind of teach them, like, hey, you know, just battle and try to find a pitch that you can handle. And, I mean, them being able to do that at such a high level was, was impressive. I mean, even when Doug Nikhazy struck out 10 and was as good as he was on Saturday – I mean, everybody saw the clip of Doug just basically tell the guy, you know, hey, like hit it fair, like stop. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, it was just, it, it was wild to see a pitcher react like that. And, you know, nobody else but Doug is going to probably do that um, because that's just kind of Nikhazy's personality. And he's just, you know, so out there and, you know, where's that personality on his sleeve. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it that was where I didn't really fault Mike Bianco in starting Broadway because I thought that it was the right move because he's the best guy you got. You want to get out there, try to get a couple of shutdown innings and hope the offense can get, you know, a four or five run lead. And, you know, I thought it was the right move because that's kind of how I was looking at the game was you want to get out there, build a lead and just honestly hope that Arizona just tightens up. And because like you said, you weren't going to keep the offense down for long. I mean, they were dangerous from top to bottom. I mean, the Dante Williams guys, the table setter, um, you had the 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 freshman barry was really good um i mean some of the guys their names are escaping me but i mean it was just it was just impressive to see them hit
2: it's bullard and who matt i mean did bullard williams barry i mean keep going the uh bruce kid i didn't even know if i was saying his last name it's down the line but you're exactly right like and the, the whole like Broadway thing was so silly to me because if you're criticizing Mike Bianco for starting Taylor Broadway you're just probably in the anti-Bianco camp and always has been because as much as everyone was used to seeing Broadway dominate if you look back at the game he was actually the only one that halfway consistently got out they obliterated everyone else
1: well yeah I was gonna say you know I'm I'm not the anti-Bianco camp but I'm in the camp of it's time for something new um but I didn't fault starting Broadway at all because like you said, I mean, when he came out, I mean, there were times, and you're sitting there, and you're like, "How are they going to get outs? How are they going to get three outs?" Because um, I mean, they were just battle and battle, and they finally get a fastball that they can handle. And I mean, just hitting it to all fields, driving it. Um, I mean, I, I I joked with with our with our colleague Chase Parham, where I was like, "I'm I'm kind of on the fence of whether or not I want to launch an investigation into their equipment. Um, every ball they hit." out of the yard was like four forty plus. I mean it was I know Desert Air might be a little thin, but man, they just raked.
2: It really was. And that's what make this whole makes this whole Bianca dynamic interesting because right, it's one in six in supers. It's one in five to get to game in games to get to Omaha. But what's been interesting is he's got the program back to a point where they're getting to supers regularly, right? The last two times we've had a season, they've gotten to supers and they've been a game away and they've run into teams that have just been better. Our, the 19 Arkansas team was the same deal as Arizona to a lesser degree, where they just had more talent, and they had another arm or two, and Ole Miss just didn't have that. Gunnar Hoagland was not what he was as a sophomore and a junior, and there was just nothing Ole Miss could do to combat it. But given the fact that you do have the, you know, four losses before that, and, or excuse me, three losses in game threes before that, and then the whole one and four in supers before that, That's not really what people want to hear right now. And that doesn't mean they're illegitimate in their gripes either, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's an Omaha trip in two decades. I hear it. I I get both sides of it. It's a fascinating and complicated dynamic. And so as we sit here on a Tuesday evening, there hasn't been any official news yet. We've texted back and forth a few times periodically, you know, throughout the last couple of days about it. you're having to go off gut feeling because you know what one camp stance is. You kind of know what the old Miss camp stance is in terms of administrative. Like you could guess it, right? There's a common sense approach to this that I think we both have a pretty good idea of what Keith Carter will take. But the main subject here talks to nobody, very businesslike in the way he approaches things. And so you're having to go off gut feeling. And that's kind of what I wrote in the newsletter yesterday it was like, Look, I'll just lay it out for you. When I originally wrote it, I was like, here's all the reasons he should go. He's seemingly maybe reached a ceiling. I I contest that maybe a little bit. He has reached a ceiling in the sense that he's recruiting as good as ever. This is probably as consistent as they're ever going to be. You know, if he wins two game threes in a row and he has two more Omaha trips to his name, you're probably not having this conversation. But from that perspective, it's still a ceiling-ish do you want a five-year restart at minimum with the pay raise going back to your alma mater and back to where your life is from? Or do you want to bank on your, or do you want to bet on yourself to get to Omaha in 2022 or really leave yourself susceptible to just not having a job? Like I couldn't come up with a counter argument, I guess is what I'm getting at. I listed that side of the argument and then I was like, okay, what are the reasons for staying? And I sat at my computer for about 25 minutes and I was like, other than sentimental value and this being the program you built up, I can't think of one. So, to me, from a Bianco standpoint, it seems like a no-brainer, but I'm not Mike Bianco, and that certainly matters because if anything is proven true over two decades, he thinks about things differently.
1: Yeah, I, I've talked with some people, and I might I might have said to you when we talked about it, but I feel like it's it kind of sets up, honestly, the timing probably sets up perfectly to where – it, you know, I think we can both agree the job is there if he wants it. I feel pretty comfortable saying that on this podcast. Um, but, look, I mean, you're going to have to replace a ton next year. Doug Nikhazy's gone. Gunnar Hoagland's gone. Might lose Tim Elko. You might lose Kevin Graham. So, you're going to have some offensive pieces back. I mean, Dave Gonzalez is coming back. He's a freshman All-American. T.J. McCants is back. Peyton chatney is back. Um, you know, guys like Hayden Leatherwood are going to be back. You're going to have – you know, a lot of bullpen guys back. They got a lot of innings this year. Um, but you're still replacing a ton. Um, the junior college prospect that they got, his name is escaping right now, the left-handed pitcher. Um, maybe he comes in and he's really, really good. But uh, you're still having to replace your two best arms on the weekend. So it kind of sets up to where it's kind of a good time for him to get out. Because like you said, there's a job there if he wants it now. Well, if he doesn't take it, unless you hire someone else, and you come back to on this, you don't get to Omaha. Maybe you don't get to a super. Who knows if you get to a regional, but whatever. It kind of seems like the – you might be out of a job next year, and if you're going to roll the dice and bet on yourself, then where do you go? So there's a lot at play here with the dominoes that need to fall and, you know, the timing, like I said, kind of – sets up perfectly for him to to get out, to have that nice, you know, goodbye to tell Ole Miss thank you. Um, you know, I mean, look, I mean, Ole Miss should, should also thank Mike Bianco. I mean, he's built this entire baseball program from back when he took the job in 2000 to where it is now. I mean, it's, it's not that without Mike Bianco. So, you know, I said it in a column that I wrote, you know, name the stadium after, retire his number, do both of them. I mean, the guy deserves it. So I think timing-wise, it sets up really nice for him to dip out and to go to LSU, go to the alma mater. Um, you know, Skip Bertman's down there. And he's clamoring for him to have the job. You've got that guy in your corner. I don't know if there's anybody else better. Um, you know, the the former Don of, of college baseball and a legend down there in Baton Rouge. But I think it, it kind of sets up to where I think he's going to take it um, I don't know who Ole Miss is going to hire. I think there's a couple names out there that I feel pretty comfortable saying Ole Miss will go after. But, yeah, I mean, it sets up to where I think he'll probably take it. But, honestly, I don't think that it's something to where it's a risk or he's rolling the dice by leaving a, a cushy spot in Oxford because, I mean, LSU is still a top ten college baseball program.
2: Yeah, and the retort I've gotten from people when I kind of point out that like you're risking – you're basically banking on yourself or betting on yourself to go to Omaha next year or get really damn close. I don't really know another scenario that would satisfy people. Um, Or really leave yourself in jeopardy of not having a job. And the retort I always get back is, well, he'd have a job in two seconds. Absolutely. If he got fired next year, Mike Banker would have another job. But it's not LSU and it would not be nearly – as good of a situation like of course he'd have another job he's a very successful baseball coach he's one of the top 20 in his profession but he's not having this opportunity next year um, unless something really got weird and so that's what I always keep going back to to where like gut feeling tells me he'd take it but at the same time I mean it is Mike Bianco I mean he uh, he thought Josh Malich was a great option out of the bullpen and you know, that Sunday in Starkville, right? Like it's, he doesn't always think about things the same way people think, like other people think about it. And I kind of poke fun at the mallet's decision, but like there are other aspects of it. where, are like just talking to him through the years and you think like, okay, why does he do this this way? And then you hear him explain it and it's kind of like, okay, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but that there's a lot more thought there than I thought. So like I guess what I'm getting at is it doesn't make any sense to me to come back. But if he did it, I also wouldn't be totally stunned. Like that's kind of the wild card element to all this. And then as you kind of alluded to, look, there's two names that Ole Miss would go after um, if Mike does in fact leave and it's Dan McDonald and Cliff Godwin. If for some reason it gets past those two, and I don't think it would, that's where with this would get kind of weird. And that's maybe your greatest test of Keith Carter as an athletic director is like where do you go after that? But uh, I also don't think it would probably get past that.
1: I don't either. I think uh, those two are probably where the search starts and ends. Uh, I think that Dan McDonald's the the clear favorite to, uh, you know, the job is his if he wants it, if you will. Um, you know, former Ole Miss assistant, worked under Mike Bianco, but uh, built an absolute monster at Louisville. Um, He's won 624 games since he got there in 2007. Um, I believe at one point, might have been through the 2020 season, uh, Louisville had more wins than anyone in the country. Uh, he's been to Omaha five times. He's won two ACC titles, four Big East titles, one AAC title when they were there briefly for one season. Um, that's the guy you want to hire. Um, if the if the whole hang-up with Mike Bianco is getting to Omaha, I think Dan McDonald's your your guy that you just kind of give him a jersey and just say, hey, go, go do what you do. Um, Cliff Goblin, on the other hand, another guy, um, hasn't gotten to Omaha yet at his alma mater at ECU, but um, former assistant at Ole Miss, recruited extremely well there, but he's also worked with Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt. He's worked with Paul Maneri at LSU, so he knows how the conference works, and that's kind of the key with those two names. Um, they're both very familiar with the program. They know how to recruit to Ole Miss, and more importantly, they know how to decipher and maneuver around the scholarship limitations that the program has. And I think that that's that's crucial because I think at times, even though they recruited extremely well, I think if I have a criticism for for Mike Bianco and his staff, um, there were a couple times where they really didn't get a lot out of some guys that they used the eleven point seven on. So. Um, Maybe that's what's holding them back. I don't know. Maybe there's something else at play. Maybe there's, you know, some kind of um, voodoo or, you know, something at play that, that we don't know about. But uh, I think it's mostly – and that's, that's the hang-up. And that's the tough thing about this job is the 11.7, you know, whether you want to admit it or not or whether you say it as loud as you should, it's, it's a huge hurdle to get over. Because there are times in Ole Miss, it's just, man, they're just – you, you kind of look at that bullpen or you look at that weekend rotation, like, and they're just one arm short. Or you look at the lineup card, like, and if they, if they just had one guy at DH or, or just one bat that could put in right field, it'd make all the difference. So, um, those two candidates being that familiar with how to recruit specifically to Ole Miss is crucial. So, I think uh, if, if Mike Bianco were to go to LSU – and those two guys are, are who you're focusing on, I think that the future of the Ole Miss baseball program is in good hands regardless of who they, who they hire.
2: Yeah, because the argument for the LSU gig is like the, the advantages will get him over the top. Because the way they structure this deal at Ole Miss now is like they basically bank on a, th- a huge class every third class, and so then they just kind of pick their spot with the other two with the 11.7. And you're right, they haven't always maximized it, but he's done a pretty good job for the most part. And I think the argument to that is, you know, when he can have a huge class every year and that's not an issue, that kind of wins him the extra game or two that he needs to get there. And I think that's a very valid argument. I would actually – like if you made me bet whether Bianco is, you know, choke artist is such a stupid term to use when talking about Mike Bianco, but the whole like can't win the big one I guess is a better way to put it, I would bet Mm -hmm. heavy favorite that that's eliminated versus it not being eliminated should he go to LSU. I'm absolutely a believer in that getting him – over the top, if he can kind of get out of his own way from some of the in-game strategy standpoint. But hey, if Josh Mallett's, you know, is ninety-four and throws three pitches that are plus pitches, uh, it may not matter who he puts in, uh, even if it's the right or wrong decision, right? Like it, it, it may just become one of those deals where talent wins out. He's gonna out-talent someone through a super regional at LSU, and I think there's fewer times it'll miss where he's able to do that. Um. But at the same time as I keep going back to it, I I I remember there were a couple of times where I was sitting out there and still like working in it. And I looked at Chase and I was like, I think I might be dead and I've lived my whole life and Mike is still waddling out to the right field bullpen at Ole miss. I'm just I'll be convinced he leaves when I see it, type of thing. Like something yeah. always goes back, and I just don't really know why. But I don't know. We will uh we'll see how it plays out. Check out rebelgrove.com for the latest because Chase Uh, Is all over it, and Neil, absolutely in the mix as well. Before I let you go, we got some golf to get to uh, as well. Um, We'll get to the U.S. Open, but the better question is, is you are a Memphis native, if I have that correctly.
1: Yes, that's correct.
2: (laughs) I know there's been a debate I saw sparked about whether Covington is part of Memphis – uh, are you aware of the situation on the Monday qualifier for the Corn Ferry Tour? And do you know either of these two gentlemen?
1: No, I, brief me here because I do not.
2: So there was a Monday qualifier yesterday for the Corn Ferry Tour. I think they're in Wichita this week. <laughs> and this Twitter account called Monday, like Monday Qualifier Info, whatever, he's I mean, gotten big recently. He just got a couple of PGA Tour media partnerships. This guy basically just traveled around and covers Monday qualifiers. Well, there was an arrest made at a corn Ferry tour Monday qualifier, uh, two days ago, uh, because punches were thrown and I'll just set the scene for you. So these Monday qualifiers can be kind of shit shows, particularly on the lower tours where they kind of just let anyone in these deals. There's a threesome going off. Um, it's a guy named Cody Fribs or something Fribs. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. And another guy, mini tour, one's a cornflary tour player, one's a mini tour guy, kind of grinding out there. Well, then there's a college kid who goes to UT Martin named uh, Luke Smith. So he's a kid that just finished up his sophomore year at UT Martin. And his father, uh, they're both from Covington, Tennessee, was on the bag for it. Well, apparently everyone in this group is struggling. Like, they're not playing well. Obviously, it's a Monday qualifier. If you make five pars in a row, you're probably out of the tournament in the first five, six holes. You got to shoot 62, 63 to have a prayer. Um, So, they're playing slow, and they get off a of pace. And that's not too uncommon, even on, you know, Monday queues, even though you're playing threesomes and it's split tees and all that shit. Not really that uncommon. But they had guys hitting it all over the map, from what I gather. And apparently – uh luke smith and his father the caddy were not interested in helping either the other two guys go search for golf balls that were hit off the map which is a very Hmm. basic thing to do at any level of golf i mean how watch the us open this week when go dudes hit the ball in the rough they're playing partners in their caddy or go help them find it just speed it up and keep it moving particularly no one in the group's playing well
1: well they're continuing It's it's a gentleman's game
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. gentlemen's game. So, that's a very basic thing. Like, to get up in arms over someone hitting it off the map and they're not playing well is, is, is kind of absurd. Or just not offering to help them. Like, standing there with your dick in your hands while someone else is trugging, trudging through, like, shrubbery to find their golf ball, it's just kind of an ass move. Like, they, you just don't do it. So, anyway. Yeah. So, they've, they're about through eight holes, and they're really behind the clock, apparently. Like, they're on the clock. They're on the border a verge of getting stroked, which I guess doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, given the way they're playing. But um, Fribs and Daly are the other two guys. So Daly hits his tee shot left of the green on seven. Fribs, who had been doing it all day, came over, helps him look for the golf ball. Well, they can't find it. I think he takes a drop. Well, Fribs ends up going and hitting his ball and finishing out the hole. And he's the first one to play out the hole. And in order to help with the pace of play, he runs up to the 8-T and goes ahead and hits his shot. Not that uncommon either. You see it on tour a lot of times as well. Well, then Daly holds out, and he plays. He meets Fribs on the 8-T. And after Daly completes the hole, so Fribs is on 8-T, and they're still in the uh, – Daly and Luke Smith and his father are still on seven green or somewhere around it, from what I understand. Uh, Daly says something to the Smiths about like, hey, it might could help, you help our pace of play if you guys could help us look for golf balls when we hit it off the map. Well, Fribs's father, or excuse me, uh, Smith's father says, my son did not come here to look for any golf balls. And from what I understand, Daly was like, okay, that's a weird-ass response. He just turns around and starts walking to the AT. Well, pro- approximately three seconds later, uh, Luke Smith, the son, is on his back, punching him in the face, tackling him to the ground, back of his head, and held him down and this is according to a police report, making, holding him down until he called uncle. So as this is happening, the third guy, uh, fribs runs back and tries to play peacemaker only to stumble upon father Smith, uh, wielding the son's putter, swinging it around. Like it's a lifesaver, basically threatening anyone who interfered with his son's beatdown with, uh, catching a putter to the face. This is a real story.
1: Wow. <laughs> So, this is on Monday.
2: This is a Monday qualifier on the Corn Ferry Tour. The group behind them apparently calls the pro shop and is like, hey, we got a real brouhaha on our hands. Can y'all come break this shit up is what I gather. And they broke it up, called the cops. And, of course, like daily at that point, it's like they're like, do you want to press charges? He was like, hell yes, I want to press charges on this guy. The son gets arrested.
1: That's a first for me. I've never oh. heard of this happening. I mean, I've heard of scuffles on the golf course and i've um heard of scuffles where it has come to blows and then it usually happens where and now this wasn't the case but you know this particular instance was somebody tries to start something they start it then they end up getting their ass beat but then they're running to the clubhouse asking for you know Um, somebody to call the cops and to where it's like, you know, Oh, like the, the group that has gotten in the fight and stopped the fight and handled it. They're like, well, we should probably get out of here. So we don't get, you know, presses or charges pressed on us, I should say. So yeah, I've heard of it. and, And that's just like at a, you know, random country club, you know, in Florida, but I mean, this is a Monday qualifier where you're supposed to be acting like a professional and trying to make the PGA tour. I mean, and, and you asked about Covington before you told the story. I'm assuming this guy's from Covington?
2: Yeah, so they're both from Covington. One of the guys looks like he's the president of some sort of wealth management firm in Covington. I understand Memphis does not claim Covington.
1: Oh, right? wealth management. I didn't know they had that in Covington.
2: So that's not Memphis. I I, I think you might answer It is there.
1: not. No, it is not.
2: So, but, I mean, they do kind of embody the spirit of Memphis.
1: I mean, I guess if, you know, maybe maybe the – the sultry tones of of whoop that trick was going through his head as he was doing it, but, um, but yeah, that is a, that's a hell of a Monday. I'll say that.
2: I, I've never heard of anything like that. You know, I've heard famous stories yeah. of people drinking beer at Hooters tour events or whatever, and you know, people just not really giving a shit on the mini tours. I, yeah, as I, one I, does. Yeah, this is the second biggest tour on the continent. I've never heard of people getting in 50 fights <laughs> over it. So uh, that was the first. I was just curious if you knew any of those people. They're from your neck of the woods. I looked up that kid's stroke average at UT Martin, and it was like 76.9. So I'm not really sure what he's doing as an amateur in a Monday qualifier yeah. on the Corn Ferry Tour anyway. But the same Monday qualifier, they uh, booted a guy after a front 9.56. They told him that he didn't he didn't need to finish.
1: Oh, jeez, <laughs> Damn, that's worse than me.
2: The guy. You get some characters out there on those things. I was just sitting there thinking, like, imagine being the third guy who's not involved in this, and he gets to finish his round. Presumably, I guess they had a rules official with him. What if he qualifies? Yeah. If he had Monday, he did not. But what if he Monday qualifies? You have to allow him <laughs> to make the cut, right, no matter what he shoots.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm claiming some kind of, you know, emotional distress there to witness, you know, a a beat down to where it's like you've just completely gotten in my head I'm out of my game now but yeah if your stroke average in college was 76.9 and you're out there trying to throw blows because somebody's like hey would you help me look for my ball here and there I mean I'm going I'm going to Scottsdale with a couple guys that their stroke average is better than this idiot and he's out there trying to fight people.
2: You should pull that move this weekend. Just you know, if someone hits it wayward, and just say, "Hey, man, I didn't fly out here to look for no golf balls." So you can, <laughs> you can keep punching through the shrubs on your
0: own.
1: Yeah, I mean, wow. What
0: yeah, a, yeah. I, what what a jackass. Yeah, I, I. That's a uh, certainly a first. Uh, one of the
2: underrated footnotes of the story was the third guy who had no involvement in this. The Corn Ferry Tour refunded his Monday qualifier fee. They're like, "You could. This runs on the house." <laughs> you have to pay for this
1: yeah that's good it wasn't like they were like hey man just grab a free hot dog at the turn like sorry like yeah at least he has his money back that's good that's very yeah funny. they gotta pay for those
2: yeah exactly but those are expensive that's part of the grind of professional golf it's expensive to get into monday qualifier. said so you're right it was not a free hot dog it was the turn it was i'm so sorry you had to show up to witness this shit today
1: so. yeah wow that's yeah what a time
2: last thing before i let you get out of here what uh you got any U.S. Open favorites. I have. Uh, uh, I'm biased. We got two Mississippians in the field: Wilson Fur, Hayden Buckley. Both survived uh, the longest day in golf, both made it through U.S. Open sectionals while being alternates at their sectional qualifier, which like does not happen. Pretty wild story. Uh, Fur. I was actually. This hopefully I have this story ready tomorrow. Fur was actually an alternate. Carried his own walking bag for eight holes, then pulled some random guy out of the crowd to carry his bag for the last. Uh, 28 holes, um, only to have the guy not understand they were playing for the U.S. Open. They had about five holes left. Fur was right on the number. of The guy goes, "Where do you uh, where do you go if you make it through this stage?" And he was like, "What do you mean? I go to Tory Ponds." The guy goes, "Oh <laughs> shit, we're playing for the U.S. Open right now."
1: <laughs> it's pretty uh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story. I'll have something of that hopefully by the time this podcast drops. But anyway, so you got two Mississippians in the field. I don't like their odds of winning. Uh if Buckley or Fur happen to be listening to this, I'm sorry. Uh I, I'm not doubting you, but so prove me wrong. Who do you like at the US Open this week?
1: You know, I, I actually uh some some insider knowledge here. Um I actually saw that uh Brooks was up in bowling green at a, a course that my buddy was playing uh today and uh he was out there working on his short game and uh saw a couple video cut ups of uh some, uh, you know, some wedge play from him and looks pretty dialed. Uh, I think that we're kind of past the whole Bryson circus social media grab at this point. I think Brooks is trying to get back to winning a trophy. Um, really like Brooks Kepka. I mean, the odds aren't great. 18 to one. So if you're trying to make some money, you're not going to get much there, but um, I don't know. I mean, the, the field's obviously loaded. Um the best of the best are involved here, but um, I like Brooks. Uh, I mean, Rom—the last I checked—is the odds-on favorite to win at ten to one. DJ's right behind him at sixteen to one. Um, man, you know it, it's hard to with, when the field is is this loaded. Um, it's really hard to to really pinpoint on somebody. Um, you know, Bryson can't really be ignored come back-to-back back of the tournament. Um, his game really fits Tory Pines um, a little bit better than it was when he was at Wingfoot, um, which he did win. Um, you know, I guess uh, if you're, if you're kind of looking for somebody that's, a you know, maybe a top-10 pick, um, Xander Shoffley is a guy that I really like. He's been playing really well. Um it's kind of one of those guys where he's he's not really the the greatest at anything but he's just really solid at everything puts it really well his irons are good wedge game you know 80 yards in really solid um I mean I don't know i I'd love for for the for the theater of maybe like speeth or JT or somebody getting in there and, and winning um Rom being the odds on favorite um, I don't know if I really like that. Um, I'll kind of throw a couple of sleepers out there to you. Um, I like Tony Finau and a guy that I haven't really been on, uh, gambling wise in a while. Daniel Berger, um, yeah. his best major finish was at Shinnecock. He was a T six there. Uh, Brooks won there. Um, he, I don't know. He's, he's just another guy like Shopley. He's just solid. Um, he's not super flashy on the leaderboard, but he just doesn't really lay a ton of eggs. Um, I don't know. I I think he's, he's good enough to survive four rounds at Torrey Pines and can make some noise. But, uh, if you're looking for a front runner, um, I'm probably going Brooks and then I'll probably throw out, um, I'll throw out JT. I think Justin Thomas long off the tee, Um, he's kind of one of those where he builds a lot of momentum going to Sunday, where if he can can get some good rounds in early, um, he just kind of starts to really feel himself and and, and really get in his zone. So I wouldn't count out Justin Thomas either.
2: Agree. I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, look, I just – I like the U.S. Open because it kind of weeds out the guys who bomb and gouge or whatever. Like, because it looks like given particularly from – the videos of Tory Ponds this week, like if you consistently try to bomb it and you hit the ball in the rough, like you're probably not seeing the weekend there. And so mm-hmm. it kind of plays into a little bit of mix of both. And so like I give off the wall one, Webb Simpson and I think Abe answer would be two ones that I have Cause I think they are two guys that are top 10 oh, driving. Honest Abe. Yeah. That driving accuracy on the PGA tour. Like that guy's game solid enough. He's still you know, hovering around top 60 ish in the world. I Definitely top 100. Like, I would like that one. But then, obviously, you can't count out the because of the world. As cool as the Mickelson story is, I do not like his chances. I saw he put a mini driver in the bag this week. I don't even know what the hell that means. I have not read up into that. <laughs> That's a classic Phil thing. I don't really uh, like his. Is that just
1: like a, just like a fairway finder?
2: I, I, I think it's a driver head, but with, like, a shorter shaft. I'm going to have to do some uh, more uh, <laughs> some more, investigating into this. but. I think it's that you know if you're looking for like maybe off the wall guy it's those two and then you know Colin Morikawa hits his drive really straight so does Sung J M like the guy that can get out there and it not be overly long for him while also not playing out of the rough which sounds simplistic I think has a really good opportunity so yeah I I don't know I, I guess what my only uh, my only gripe with this so far this week is that they paired uh, Kepka and Bryson at exact opposite times
1: yeah that that was a bummer. Cause I was really hoping for that. Just, I mean, look, you want to talk about making money, pair those two together and just make it a subscription to buy. It's oh, like you're a making, podcast. yeah. I mean, you're making a hundred thousand easy, pair them together and make it 20 bucks to watch them the whole round. I'm, I'm buying that.
2: Yes. And the way I'm rationalizing it. And, you know, even like young people like us where, you know, you're not just like, you know, I have an FU money to throw around. I my even if they charge a hundred bucks, I'd be like, I would spend a hundred dollars worse this month. So I will absolutely <laughs> yeah. buy this. Like you're you're appealing to the common man by doing that. I don't hate that idea at all.
1: <laughs> but God Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I'm 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 probably gonna throw away a hundred dollars somewhere this week anyway, in Scottsdale. So yeah, there's no yeah, might as well throw a hundred dollars on watching that.
0: Exactly. Like you're gonna spend a hundred dollars worse. So I uh I don't hate that at all.
2: Maybe a little pay per view uh post Yo, know, if you could get them on like a a match play deal, kind of like the whole, you know, things they experimented with the pandemic but just them two and then no censors where you can say whatever the hell you want, I'd pay 100 bucks for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, uh, I appreciate the time, dude. I kept you longer than I told you I would. I really appreciate it. Um, Scottsdale this week. Uh, you got the game in good shape. Wedges fine tuned cleaning the clubs off.
1: Uh, not cleaning clubs. I don't really do that. Um, probably should. Um, yeah, there's only a couple clubs that I really need to really clean the grooves. Um, the 58 is, you know, that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the one that I really need to, to be focused on cleaning. But, uh, no, nah, I mean, as of late off the tee, not bad. Um, and actually hitting it pretty straight, which is uh rare typically play, uh, typically play the wipey fade a little more off the tee. Um, and then I've been tinkering with, uh, been hitting a draw with the irons. So, um, I'll get out there, really try to use some ground, uh, use the lower half a lot more and try to play with that. But, um, yeah, pretty excited playing TPC Scottsdale, uh, the stadium course should be a lot of fun. Um, I just saw on their website, um, in case you're wanting to get out there, no metal spikes allowed. So, uh, Bryson, get the fuck out. Um, but, uh, yeah, playing that, um, pretty excited. I've, I've been to waste management a couple times. It's uh, just an absolute joy uh, for anybody that likes golf or just likes a good time. I highly recommend it. Um, we found out before we started, you and I were there at the same time uh, a couple of years ago when Ricky won it. So, excited to get out there and play that. Um, also, getting over to Weco Power, playing the guaro course. Um, it's a core Crenshaw. It's the number one course in Scottsdale, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of good golf out there. Um, really excited to get out there and play that. And then we're going to close it up playing at talking stick, probably double up and go to the casino after another core Crenshaw. I was telling you before we started um, it's really flat and it's really wide open. So uh, it's pretty gettable. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get out there, probably do a lot of gambling. A lot of people probably yelling press a lot off the tee. Um, probably play some Wolfhammer at some point. So it's going to be, it's going to be a good time.
2: If you don't punch someone, this podcast will be disappointed now that we've set the scene, because that's, uh, that's what you guys from Memphis.
1: Come <laughs> that's right. Yeah.
2: I appreciate the time as always, dude. Obviously we'll do this again soon and, uh, looking forward to it. Enjoy the trip, make some birdies and, uh, we'll talk again soon.
1: Yeah, man. Appreciate it.